0: Hey, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why starting an exercise routine might give you healthier food cravings and a set of math problems that you could get a million dollars for
0: solving. Plus, you'll learn the story of what drove the growth of astronomy in the Middle Ages in the third installment of our Moon Monday mini series. Let's satisfy some curiosity.
1: Looking to cut down on your junk food cravings? A new study says starting an exercise routine might give you cravings for healthier food. As reported by Futurity, researchers looked at more than 2,600 young adults who had no regular exercise or diet routine. And after exercising for several weeks, participants were more likely to choose foods like fruits, vegetables, and lean meats. And their cravings for sodas, fried foods, and other unhealthy options decreased. The researchers in this study actually told participants to not change their diets in any major way, but they did anyway. This study didn't look specifically at why this happened, but previous research has shown that moderate exercise can change dopamine levels in a way that makes people crave high-fat foods less. There's been other research showing a relationship between exercise intensity and the amount of appetite-regulating hormones in the body. This study included people between the ages of 18 and 35, which is a really important period for forming healthy habits. A lot of weight gain happens during early college years, I know, and someone who's mildly or moderately overweight in their early 20s has a bigger risk of obesity later in life. In terms of the amount of exercise in this study, participants at the beginning of the study said they exercised less than 30 minutes a week, and they were put on a routine where they did a 30-minute aerobic workout three times a week for 15 weeks. Participants could do this aerobic exercise on whatever equipment they preferred, like treadmills, stationary bikes, or elliptical machines. Here's how the researchers summed up the results. Quote, one of the reasons that we need to promote exercise is for the healthy habits it can create in other areas. That combination is very powerful, unquote.
0: I have noticed I eat so much healthier when I'm exercising.
1: I'm really regular with it now, but back before I was a super regular exerciser, I totally noticed that I had fewer sugar cravings and and fewer cravings for junk food when I was exercising regularly.
0: See, and I thought I just had a lot of self-control, so I'd be like, oh, cool, I'm exercising now. Well, now I'm going to resist the temptation of bad foods, but it turns out maybe it was just a natural reaction, too.
1: Well, there's this website called curiosity.com that has an article that does say that exercise can boost your self-control as well.
0: Can you also read that article on the free Curiosity (laughs) app for Android and iOS?
1: You sure can, Cody. Incredible. Incredible. Sure can. Incredible.
0: (laughs) It's time for the third installment in our Moon Monday mini-series, where we'll teach you how the history of the moon has affected the world in some way. This week, we're going to fast forward from ancient Greece to the Middle Ages. Around this time, astronomers started to study the stars pretty seriously. But what did they hope to accomplish back then? It turns out the answer lies in astrology. Here's what Dr. David Warmflash told us about the surprising and kind of amusing origins of modern day astronomy. There were some really smart people who just realized that you know, we want to learn about the cosmos and what are these things we
2: keep seeing and it must be telling us something about Earth's place in the universe. But what drove it was astrology because astrology and astronomy started out together and the money was in astrology. There, there you have a, a, several stories particularly when you get into the Middle Ages, of people who were, they're working for some emperor. Like one guy, Al-Biruni, I'm just giving the shortened version of his name. He's in kind of Central Asia, uh, working for an emperor there as a, he's kind of like a polymath, like one of the the best, most ingenious polymaths since Aristotle. There's another guy who has a bunch of names, Ibn al-Haytham, And he was like an optics, optical physics guy. He was incredibly, really skeptical about the whole Ptolemaic system. So Ptolemaic refers to Claudius Ptolemy, who was an astronomer in Hellenistic Egypt, who his text, The Almagest, for centuries and centuries, that was pretty much the only astronomy book. And what Ptolemy did, building on ideas that other astronomers had come up with in the centuries leading up to him to give Aristotle's idea of Earth being at the center of the universe a mathematical framework that could make it right. And Ptolemy wasn't exactly interested in whether his model was a representation of reality or not. He was interested in whether it would predict the positions of the stars and planets right because of astrology because if you could predict where the planets and stars were then you could say you're a really good astrologer and then you can make predictions should we fight that battle on this day or that day they were funded by emperors who wanted astrologers they worked as royal astrologers and that's where their paycheck came from but you could tell by what they're writing that they thought the whole thing was, was baloney, that this is ridiculous. Of course, <laughs> the positions of the planets and stars don't influence uh, events on, on Earth, but they needed, that's how they got paid. And in the case of Altusi, he was able to get this huge, new, state of the art observatory built uh, with the funding from a Mongol emperor. And, <laughs> and so that's, that's how they did it. <laughs>
0: So there you go. When it came to astronomy back in the day, it was all about the Benjamins. It's like they always say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There are lots of other great stories in the upcoming book, Moon in Illustrated History by Dr. David Warmflash, including stuff about the space race, which we'll get into next week. In the meantime, you can follow him on Twitter at Cosmic Evolution. We'll post links to all that and more in today's show notes.
1: Do you want a million dollars? Well, I hope you're good at math. Because you're guaranteed to earn a million bucks if you can solve any one of the millennium problems. Sounds easy, but honestly, it's probably one of the hardest possible options for making that kind of bank. These problems came from the Clay Mathematics Institute of Cambridge, Massachusetts. In the year 2000, they laid out seven of the most challenging problems mathematicians were facing at the time. And yes, the million dollar reward is still available to anyone who could solve one of them. These problems represent the deepest mysteries in the field of mathematics. Some of them point to extremely useful practical applications like engineering better spaceships, more effective drug treatments, and tougher cybersecurity encryption standards. Others seem to have no practical applications whatsoever and simply offer the human race a more detailed look at how the universe works. As of 2019, only one of them has been solved by a Russian geometer in 2002. It was called the Poincare Conjecture, And in the simplest terms, it basically asks whether a fully closed shape is always considered a sphere, no matter how many dimensions you build it in. The solution showed that all simply connected closed shapes share a nice orderly set of properties that can be categorized, albeit in a very complicated way. Yeah, I told you these weren't simple. One problem down, six to go. Here are a few more examples. The P versus NP problem. It basically asks this. If it's easy to check that a solution to a problem is correct, is it also easy to solve that problem? In the P versus NP problem, the P stands for polynomial, and the NP stands for non-deterministic polynomial time. This problem is one of computer science's greatest mysteries, and we could dedicate an entire episode to it, and you still wouldn't even know the solution. One other millennium problem is called the Riemann hypothesis. It has to do with prime numbers, and according to the Clay Mathematics Institute, it's been checked for the first 10 trillion solutions. To solve this, you need a proof that it's true for every interesting solution. And the point of this problem is that the solution would shed light on many of the mysteries surrounding the distribution of prime numbers. Grab that graphing calculator and good luck.
0: Read about today's stories and more on curiosity.com.
1: Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious.
0: On the Westwood One Podcast
2: Network.